0: Welcome to Atlanta Diaries, a place to have meaningful conversation with breakthrough women to explore the ebb and flow of their unique journeys. I'm your host, Enma Popley. Thank you very much for joining me. My guest today is Swati Shetty. Swati is a producer based in Los Angeles and had a recent release in the much loved wedding season, her first film in Hollywood as a lead producer, a Netflix original directed by Tom Day. Prior to launching her own company, Samosa Stories, Swati was executive vice president at Imagine Entertainment and moved to the US in 2016 as Netflix's first employee from India. In her previous avatar in India, Swati produced Amrika, a drama which went on to win India's first Sundance Award in 2015. A pharmacist and MBA by education, Swati began her entertainment career at Fox followed by disney earlier as president of palaji motion pictures she put together a successful slate of films starting with the dirty picture the first ever female driven film that had extraordinary success at the box office hi swati welcome to the show
1: hello hi anma thank you for inviting me
0: i am really looking forward to sharing your courageous journey with my Mm -hmm. listeners in fact so many young girls have actually seen the guest list and said, I want to particularly listen to Swati Shetty. I don't know if I said that to you. Oh,
1: really? How do they even know of me?
0: So, why don't we just start from there? Why don't you share with us your experiences at wedding season? I mean, I was totally off the fact that you moved to the US at this age and you decided to produce a movie on your own. You Move to a new country, a new culture, and just bashed on. Share with us your experiences of wedding season.
1: Sure. So wedding season just recently happened. It released on Netflix August 4th, and it did really well. It was, you know, number four worldwide. It was top 10 in 86 countries. And most importantly, I mean, outside of the numbers, it was really received very well by the audiences. You know, I still receive so many messages from people telling me how it is more authentic than anything they've seen that is ever intended to represent them, for the Indian-Americans specifically. And so we get a lot of compliments for that. And I feel really great about it. It was a lot of joy that it brought, I mean, of course, to the audiences, but to all of us who were involved in the film as well. Uh, Coming to my journey and how this happened, I am a pharmacist MBA. And like most good Indian girls from a traditional South Indian family, I did not want to be a doctor. And so I ended up doing pharmacy. I did not ever regret it. It was a great journey. I made some really close friends. I still apply the learnings of some of it. And suddenly listening to so many podcasts of wellness and health that my fundamentals in pharmacy sort of help as I listen to them. But yeah, at some point, I realized that this may not really be my calling as much as I enjoyed it. And I liked so many of the subjects that I had to study in pharmacy as well. But it didn't come so naturally to me, like I couldn't see myself in a lab researching something or a new drug. And I didn't know what though, right? Because I think from my childhood, because of the traditional upbringing, I did not allow myself to dream freely. So I think that my dreams were sort of contained, right? So even though I enjoyed music. I was a singer. I enjoyed uh, just about everything creative. Then Destiny would have it. I had a job at Star TV, as you know. I did advertising sales for five years. And then when Disney came into the country, I joined Disney with a condition that I would move once the ad sales is set up and their revenue thing kicks off, I would move to something else. Because by then I knew that I wanted to be on the creative side of things. Now, obviously, it's very hard to move from the revenue side of things to being creative, right? But as luck would have it, there was a job in content distribution that the management put me forward for. And that's when I had my new job, which was a little bit of a transition in that sense towards creative. But it wasn't still creative. It was uh, Disney ABC content distribution. And that business grew by about 60% or so in the first year. And just by virtue of the fact that I had delivered a couple of times across two businesses, I was put forward for the studio job at one point, which was the Disney studio. And in India, films were just beginning to get more organized. If you remember, it was a very unorganized industry at a certain point. And uh, this was just pretty much the beginning, right? Studios had just about come into our country and uh, there was a certain gap in the way we would function in India and the way America would function, because most of these multinationals were American, or almost all of them. And so I think somewhere the business side of things helped transition into that role. And by then, I'd also begun to know that I loved film. I enjoyed watching. And to date, I think that is my best teacher. And I did everything to compensate for the fact that I wasn't from the film world. I'm very aware of it even today, like I know that I'm not film educated, in the sense not film school educated, let's say that. So I'm very aware of that, and I make up for it by really learning from everywhere else, from everything, whether it's books, masterclass, podcasts, my interactions with everyone who contributes to my life. But for me, every interaction is a lot of learning. I am a good listener, observer, I think somewhere the universe played a role in bringing me to this. And yes, I think I've gotten very close to my calling, but I still don't know if I have found my calling. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy what I do. Don't get me wrong. I've come closest to my calling. But is the producer thing my calling? Yes, maybe. But there could be other things. I don't know. <laughs> Did that answer the question?
0: That's great. It answered the question and a lot more. It gave us a good uh, 360 view and understanding of Swati and a journey.
1: So yeah, so Disney film was like the first film job, and then you know I had a great time just knowing that this is for me, and I love film. I began to watch so many films from all over the world. Then I moved to Balaji as head of their motion pictures business. I was president of motion pictures at Balaji for a while, and that gave me. A real introduction to Bollywood. I met with everyone from Bollywood, tried to build out a whole slate. That was a great experience. We made a dirty picture. And at one point, I think, again, the creative side of me kept talking to me all the time at every stage in my life. And I wanted to make films that I could connect with more as an individual versus looking at it as just as a business, you know, like being more involved creatively in the storytelling and that's how when i quit and started my own company samosa stories america the film uh, that is currently on netflix happened uh, we won the sundance award with that film so that was definitely one of the braver moves in that sense and then uh, from america once i finished america and we did the festival circuit for almost a year netflix called and uh, they were setting up india but the job was in the us and it was a big call but then you know for me personally i had Done a lot of things within the media and entertainment space. I had come closest within that to what I really loved doing. And within that, I had understood almost every part of the business. But digital was very new. And what would have been the best way to learn digital and get exposure to it? it, Nothing better than Netflix at that point, right? And so, yes, I had to make the sacrifice of leaving home and my parents and the city I was born in. But to be honest, I was ready for it. I had spent four decades in my country and I had learned what there was for me to learn in those years. And I wanted to be able to apply some of what I learned and to learn more. Like I wanted a bigger landscape. I thrive on learning and I feel like I'm always looking for more. So yeah, and that's how I made the decision to move to the US and stay here.
0: This was a very good summary of your journey thus far and what drives you and what keeps you going. What really stands out for me is that you're like this uh, constant learner and learning has been your driving factor, whether it's a new role or a new job or a new project. What did you learn in this biggest change, like moving from the East to the West, from India to the US, a completely new culture, I would imagine. How did you navigate the culture? And what were the different, maybe, culture shocks, if any?
1: I don't know about culture shocks. I mean, they were not shock, would be too much of an extreme because it wasn't like I had never been to the US, right? Before I really moved, at least for about 16 years or so, I was coming off and on. My sister was here. I worked at Disney and uh, just all of that. And of course, with America, you know, Sundance and everything. So I had definitely been to the U.S. multiple times. But yeah, living here is very different. But I I think I, I was very, I had welcomed it. So that helped. I don't think I was afraid. But at the same time, I didn't have time to really absorb it and watch. Because everything was moving so fast, you know. Like I moved here and I was pretty much working on stuff, on deals, helping the person here, even before I officially joined Netflix. So when I got here, I was at work, like I got here that weekend. And on Monday, I was at work. And uh, it was just about the beginning of Netflix in that region. And so I was extremely busy. I was going back to India six times a year. I was jet lagged through the year. My friends, my family, everything was that Netflix building, really. Because that was my first home. I wasn't even driving for the first six months. So all I did was really worked. (laughs) But it was really a great time because I got lucky that I moved to the US with a company like Netflix in that I was taken care of. I didn't feel lost. It's not like I had to go out of my way to build a community, know people, to be able to ask questions on where do I buy this or how do I get to whatever Netflix took care of a lot of it. They actually had a relocation manager for me who drove me to DMV, to the bank, to set up things, gave me a little bit of a culture introduction. And then I had friends, I mean, colleagues now, when I think of it, they are colleagues, right? But they become your friends at that time because you're new to the country. And so I would ask them questions. I remember one of my colleagues actually coming when I went to pick up my first car, because this was my first car. And this was the first time I'm driving (laughs) with the wheel on the other side. And I was a little afraid to, you know, and, and she and her husband just showed up. So the fact that I joined or moved to the US with a great job, with a great company, and with some fantastic people around me that helped. And to be honest, over the years, I've realized that it doesn't matter where I am. Like I, I think of myself like most other people. I am also a global citizen. It could be anywhere, but the person I am will be the same. Environment around me could change. and it's not that difficult for me to adapt. Are there things I learned here that were you know addressing your question in terms of the shock? Were things new to me? Of course, a lot, you know, and there were many things that I didn't necessarily see or learn immediately, but over time. For example, when I got here was the year when Trump was elected, you know, all of that happened and there were emotions, there were extreme emotions I was exposed to about politics, about race, about all of that. And and to a large extent, yes, did I see some of that in my country? Differently, very differently, because it's about class, it's about wealth, it's about color uh, in a different way in my country whereas here it was very different and uh, did i experience racism ever in my first few years no because i don't think i even had a radar for it now, yes i've had one or two episodes outside of like my workplace that uh, i was like shocked you know i remember at a grocery store a woman telling me to stand at a distance and uh, it was a bizarre experience but other than that in general i've not had that but over the years i've become more alert i have begun to see what that really looks like. You're blind to it until you really have the knowledge, you know the history, and you know how these things play out. Have I experienced newer things, good and bad, in this country? Absolutely. Has it been to the extent that I've wanted to run away? No, not at all. In fact, I really appreciate being here. There are many things about this country I really admire, and there are things that I miss from my country, but at the same time, I wish some things that happened here in a certain way happened in my country too.
0: That's a very interesting perspective. You know, when you talked about the DMV, I could so relate to it because I remember when you know when we moved here, the first thing we experienced was that when the HR person drove us to the DMV and coming from India and you're so used to getting the job done, like 20 people to do it for you, it was truly a cultural shock. It was humbling in one way that you realize that you're amongst the commoners. But I think at some level, it also felt good to lead this anonymous life where nobody knows you and you can just be your kind of a person.
1: Yeah. See, for me, that way it wasn't because I think I was quite a commoner even in India. Like I was really doing my own thing. I remember going right before I moved here, I went to just make sure my address and all that was correct on my India license. So I pretty much lived... Uh, like that even there so those things didn't really change for me in that sense
0: it was probably that stint in Chandigarh you know it's small city and you can't hide in Chandigarh
1: No, you know I see absolutely what you mean and especially when you're a family in India you know you make sure to have a lot of help and but I, I've, I've been single most of my life I've had to do these things for myself and to some extent I don't need too much help because then I feel it takes away my privacy So even in India, I would prefer to do a lot of things by myself.
0: I love the way you said you welcomed the US. We also spoke about the fact that Netflix wanted you to go back to India. And you chose to take another courageous decision when you said no to them. What drives you then? Where does this courage come from?
1: Thank you for saying that's courageous because I think it needed courage too. But I'm sure some would say it's foolish, you know, (laughs) because it was a great job back home. And I was aware of that. It was a fantastic job. It's a great company. I love the company. I really enjoyed working there. I'm, in fact, very grateful that I had time there and worked with such smart people. I could have contributed a lot more had I continued to be there. And I I was very much aware of it. But at the same time, if I looked at just purely the company and I had to make a decision for the company, that would have been the best decision. And that is why I have no grudge against Netflix for wanting me to go because it was the best decision at the time. Personally, though, it wasn't the best for me because it was a big call for me to move from Bombay to the US at one time. And at that time, you know, there was no plan for me to head back, right? Also, in terms of going back to this thing of how do I move forward? I move forward if I'm learning new things. For me, that's very important to stay alive. And so, in a way, if I went back, I wasn't ready to at that point. I needed to learn more. I wasn't done with the U.S. I wanted to get more exposure. I wanted to make more films. Eventually, I had already known that I wanted to produce films and I wanted to create content. This was the first step towards that, in a way, right? And if destiny or the universe brought me to the U.S., I hope and I really think it did have a plan, and I hope it does. So, it was an easier route to take and uh, go back to the country, make my money, you know, my salary, blah, blah, blah. But I chose to stay back because uh, just my instincts said no, and I wasn't ready to go back. It was hard. It was a very hard decision. I will tell you, it, is one, it was definitely one of my harder decisions, but it was also a decision where I wasn't for a moment unclear. I was very clear and that helped. I was very sure I didn't want to go back. It's not every day that a girl from India, firstly, who wasn't even allowed to dream film, then gets to film, then makes a film that wins India its first Sundance Award, then gets an offer from the U.S. for streaming, then moves. And uh, this is her opportunity in Hollywood to be able to do something Now, will she? I hope so. You know, well, she made one film, but uh, I hope it's a longer journey and I hope my dreams come true. Uh, But if I headed back, I'm not sure when I would come back, whether I would have an opportunity to come back. And Netflix wasn't willing to give me that guarantee either. So I don't regret that decision, though I will say it's not like it's easy to say that either. It's hard. Every day is hard when you've chosen the tougher path. But let's see, you know, time will tell.
0: I love your optimism, Swati, and I so believe in the law of attraction. So let's just go with that. (laughs) Let's just go with that theme and that perspective. Stay optimistic and you're headed for great stuff and you're going to make the country proud. You've said that you come from a conservative community and there were clear do's and don'ts, right? So I'd love to double click on how did those early years shape
1: your journey? So I would say more traditional in that sense. Yes, conservative, but with different, uh, in a different perspective. My parents came from the bandh community and there was a certain thing about the word my father used always was maryadi, which means izzat in Hindi, izzat se rehna. Like he did that even like a month ago when I was in India, like wherever you guys are, whatever you do, live with dignity. So that dignity became like a big It was taken to extremes and it was the definition of the community and it was the standards of it were different for men and women, right? Secondly, boys were always shown bigger dreams and allowed to have bigger dreams. Also, at that time, when I was growing up, dowry was a big thing, which is another reason why it was taken for granted that girls, irrespective of what they did, they studied, they were going to get married and the dad would have to give a lot of dowry to get her married. So who cares about what she studies eventually, right? So my dad wanted me to be a doctor. So there was always this dichotomy. If you ask me, honestly, my dad is the guy who gives me all this courage and who taught me courage. It isn't him that I saw courage and who always spoke about being brave. And at the same time, he's the guy who's who pulled us back from doing some things because he was afraid. There's a part of him who was a father of three girls. And he had to live by the standards of the community. He did not want us to marry intercaste. That was the big thing. It wasn't even inter-country or inter-state uh, <laughs> or anything. It was literally even like inter-caste, right? That was the word that was used the most at the time. Everything emanated from there, which is one of the reasons he wouldn't like for this child to get more exposure. He was always afraid when I was invited to a poetry competition or a singing competition or had to give the welcome speech to the archbishop when he was in India. My dad always said no, and the nuns would come and beg with him. And uh, it was always a fight. And my mom, it felt like she was on our side, but she would eventually just have to toe the line and be on my dad's side. And I can't blame him either because he knew what he knew and he came up the hard ways. He is someone who moved from the village at age 11. He had a sense of duty and responsibility to his family. And so he studied night school. He worked in the day. He did not allow the restaurant owner to adopt him when he wanted to. And my dad felt a sense of responsibility and said, no, he made something of his life. So to be honest, he is somebody who is my hero. And Coming back to your question, I just wanted to give you the context of that, so you know where the traditional came from. And so he wanted to win in his community. He wanted his daughters to make him proud in the definition of what he thought success is, right? And for me as a child, he gave me that education to question things. My school teachers taught me to question things. And uh, we were full of questions because we were seeing all these things happen around us. And we were like, why are Boys and girls treated equally? Why would you want me to marry XYZ? You know, but a lot of times we weren't even allowed to ask those questions because all of those things were taboo, right? And so I think there was a part of me that knew that at some stage I would move away from this all. There was a large part of me that was also not afraid, but bogged down by the fact that is this the life I'm going to live? Like, am I going to be like, Every other girl from my community who gets to a certain age, whatever she does, studies, even I know doctors who married a hotelier or something and then, you know, didn't even end up practicing and they're home with their kids and they're living in dignity, right? (laughs) I'm not judging their lives, don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to say is that wasn't for me. Did I do it? I did it to some extent, to a large extent. And the reason I think many things in my life took a longer time to get to where they were probably meant to, was because I lived for parent approval. I wasn't rebel in the technical sense of it. There wasn't that child who rebelled in that sense, but slowly I did, right, in different ways. But I wanted them to be okay. Even though I think that I have worked at getting over parent approval, I think a large part of me has been conditioned with it.
0: I can so relate to what you're saying, Swati, you know, coming from a small city like Chandigarh, I can totally understand our parents completely conditioned us and there's a funny sense of guilt also if you do something which was different from what they explained to you right that's what stood out for me when you were telling me I have to share a very silly example on that note like I've been a teetotaler all my life and during the pandemic the boys were after me that okay now you can at least have a glass of wine with us. And it was almost like, you know, confession of the priest. When my dad came to the U.S., I just told him, listen, I have started drinking wine. And I felt so much lighter after that. because yes, <laughs> I, can, I, I totally understand what you mean. Yeah, That's a very beautiful story, though, Swati. And I'm curious to know, how was your father responding to this journey of Swati?
1: Well, I don't know how I can make this sound better, but I don't think we gave him an option. <laughs> Like, I think after a point, we didn't give him an option. So he had to just live with it. We did some things that he wanted us to do. We were, we're all well-educated and we all did the right things. We didn't ever, like, he didn't have to deal with us doing drugs or or anything like that. And, you know, he didn't get complaints from other people about us. We were really well-behaved children. When I hear stories from friends, I definitely think my parents were lucky in that. We were really good children. And over time, I think it was just due to us to explore life and to see what's there for us and to move forward and to make our choices. And I am grateful that each one of us had our own paths and we found that and we found the courage to make our own call and make some decisions, knowing well that our parents may disapprove and may not be a part of our lives. And at that point, you think, oh, they're going to like just abandon me, maybe. But you have to make that choice because at the end of the day, it's your life. And uh, I think you asked me this question about what would I tell my younger self, right? And I think about this often. One of the many things would be that I don't think people age determines wisdom because somebody is older than me, that they have more wisdom, or because I am older than someone, I am wiser than someone. That is not true. More so in India, the respect just purely for age is something that I am not a fan of anymore. Do I still respect people who are older? Yes, because it's ingrained in me. And it's very hard to shed that. But is it something I would teach necessarily if I had children? Would I teach them that? Maybe not. I don't think so. And I don't think also age determines the length of life. Because somebody is older than me, doesn't mean that they will die before me, right? (laughs) So all our lives are short. So we all have to make the most of our lives. And if as a parent or as an older person, you want to control my life to that extent, then maybe all my life is controlled by you if I don't take on the reins at some point. What if I lived only till twenty five and my dad was controlling my life up to that point? And then that's the only life I've lived? That mindset needs to change, especially in India. I mean, I don't know the whole world, but I definitely see in the West it's a little different than back home. Yes, there are some people who still are like that here, but it's definitely different. Like at a certain point, there's more freedom that kids have compared to in India. and India has also changed to be fair. you know, there are many modern parents like you guys and your kids and but at least in our times, it was different.
0: This is very insightful. And I think it takes me to the whole culturalized iceberg. To give India its due, when you brought up your kids and your kids have stayed with you till they are married. And even later, it just by default becomes a sense of involvement. And to then tell them, you know, it's my life. And it reminds me of Khalil Gibran, the prophet, which I read a lot when I had to let go. You know, I'm secretly hoping... My boys don't listen to this podcast because they're going to say we love Swati. She's saying exactly what we've been telling you. So (laughs) this is very insightful, Swati. And I think you've talked about topics which people don't want to always talk about. But deep inside, everybody will agree with you. So this is deep, but this is very, very interesting. (laughs) Let's shift gears a little bit and uh, let's talk about Amrika. Okay. Okay. I know you told me it was hard, but it also got you the Sundance Award. So was
1: that one of your proudest moments? For sure. I mean, uh, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't one of my proudest moments. But, you know, I'm proud of many little things that happen all the time. Like the latest one would probably be wedding season or my painting stuff when Save the Children. The oldest living member of Save the Children came to L.A. and took me out to lunch just to be appreciative of this whole artwork that I do and sell and donate to save the children, which is which is something that started in the pandemic. And I would say that is probably one of my proudest moments. Amrika was in a different way. I was very, very proud because of just the effort that went into making it. It was probably one of the biggest risks I've taken in that sense. To basically keep the conversation on this short, because I could write a whole book about Amrika. Let's say it was one of those things where a certain financier was supposed to come on board didn't come through. But by then, we had locked actor dates. Suraj was studying in uh, New York, and he could only do the film in his vacation. So I still remember 21st December had to be the start. And that was locked, and we paid him in advance or something. And we had international crew working on the film. So we had to start, and we had no money. And to cut a long story short, on the 42nd day of shoot It was a 50-day shoot it was on the 42nd day of shoot that I found an investor on Twitter so don't even ask me how we shot for those first 42 days and the rest because you know investors money started coming in only when we were doing posts but the point is that it was hard and you know by then it wasn't like I was a kid I had spent time at Star TV I was at Balaji I knew people it was a great script. It was a great filmmaker. We had good talent. Everybody liked it, but nobody was willing to put money on the table, right? Because it was not your typical commercial Bollywood film. And everybody was curious. Everybody read it. Everybody was stayed in touch, but nobody was willing to commit. I think I had asked almost everyone I knew in my entire life and so in those first 42 days, I have reached out to friends, ex-clients, just people who just helped me pull through. The directors, family and friends, my family and friends, it was a lot. And then the whole journey was very hard. And then making it and the winning was obviously beautiful. It was uh, very, very rewarding in that sense when we won. Yes.
0: That is beautiful.
1: So tell me, with the wisdom of hindsight...
0: Would you do anything different to proactively not have gone through those challenges?
1: Well, hindsight is fifty-fifty, like they say, right? So I do think that yes and no, because I remember when we won, the director said, if not for the tenacity of our producer, we wouldn't have made this film. And that is true. I mean, I know it sounds shameless to say it, but in the context of your question, I think it was the tenacity. And i the one, one side of me would say, you should know when to say stop. But then had I stopped, it wouldn't happen, right? I just kept going. And I do think if I can take that same tenacity to different things, which I do mostly, then I could win again. But it's so hard. But one lesson would be that I don't think everything needs to be so hard. If you know that something's worth it and you want to go after it, definitely, but not everything needs to be that.
0: Swati, you know, you said that you're single, right? If you had dependence, would this tenacity have been any different?
1: So, I don't think, I mean, I can't say I know for sure because I don't have dependence. But just uh, simulation wise, I think I would say yes and no. I mean, there is a chance that I would be one of those mothers. You know, because most mothers are afraid for their kids and they're wanting to protect them and it's a natural instinct. But my personality is not that, right? Fortunately, I'm not somebody who is very rarely has fear overtaken most scenarios I've been in. To some extent, I do think as a parent, maybe it would limit me. But in, in other ways, I think not. It's not like I wasn't aware of all of that when I was going after something, right? And My priorities are clear. If my dad called and he needed me today and I was in the middle of, let's say, America or wedding season, whatever the hell, or even the Oscar, I would go. But again, we're not a family who are talking on a daily basis. So I have to be grateful to them for that too, because they're not so demanding, But it's very clear to them and it is clear to me that if if they needed me now, I will be there. There's no question. So similarly, I think if to your question in terms of dependence, I mean, family would be the priority. There's no question, right? But would that have stopped me from doing what I am doing or the way I do things? I don't think so. Because, you know, I am not as crazy as it probably seems. (laughs) i think um,
0: let's change the perspective i see you as courageous versus a risk taker so maybe it's worth talking more about would you have taken so many risks had you had dependence and assuming that those risks could translate into financial turbulence or trouble that's where i'm coming from
1: yes yes you're right i mean that's a good well framed question because uh, yes i have taken those risks and uh, Would I have been able to do that if I had dependents? Maybe less or so. You're right. You're very right about that. Even today, I'm not still there and I'm still taking those risks and I'm still doing that stuff. I'm probably able to do that because it's just me. As, As a single person, I can downsize and not live in the house that maybe I would want to live in with kids. I could be more minimal. I could cut down on trips. I could cut down on whatever. My entertainment can be less because I'm focused on something that is more of a priority. But when you have kids, you cannot do that, right? That said, again, to your point in terms of courage and risk-taking and all that, yes, I definitely think I am a courageous person. And I think that comes from somewhere from my dad, maybe. Mom, I don't know. But I would like to be more courageous, in fact. (laughs) I am a bit of a risk-taker. But the one thing I will say there is I am not impulsive. It may seem like I am impulsive. I do take some decisions that are very quick. I, uh, I think a lot <laughs> about things. And, you know, so most times I'm, I'm pretty clear on what I want or what's the path I want to take and what I don't want, more importantly. Just to give you an example, it may have sounded impulsive to say, oh, I didn't go to India because I didn't want to go. And so irrespective of what money that job paid and what position it was or how much I could impact, things in my country. And as tempting as it was, it was a clear decision because I knew what I wanted and and what I did not want. So I think I am definitely not as impulsive as I sometimes may seem to people.
0: What is it that you want? And what is it that you don't want?
1: I want a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Go for it.
1: (laughs) Beautiful life, which I have, to be fair, you know, I think I have a beautiful life and I have earned it. And when I say beautiful life, I don't mean I'm rich or anything. I'm not. But I'm very grateful for a life where my every day is beautiful. You know, I live in a city that's so beautiful. There's the ocean. The weather's great. There's green all the time. I see a hundred flowers every day. I have hummingbirds outside the window right now as I speak to you. And I am extremely, extremely, I cannot even tell you. This sounds maybe just airy fairy fake, but it's not. Like I am. It does and I can relate to that. <laughs> I am extremely grateful for that. And in a way, I think all my life I dreamt of that. I wanted that. And the fact that I am grateful for it makes me never take it for granted. Because that also continuously inspires me. And what do I want from life? I want that. I want my everyday to be great. I want to be inspired every day. And at the same time, inspire myself, hopefully. Do things to inspire others. I want joy and I want to create joy with others. You know, the feeling like my recent feeling of joy, I would tell you that shared joy was when we had the premiere of wedding season. I remember the actors, both of them in a dark corner coming in, like just throwing themselves at me and somebody got a picture of it. We look all messed up, but it was a moment of joy. It was shared joy. It was a film we shot in covid we all came together. It was not the easiest. We've had such tough conversations, but here we are, and the world is loving it. And we created this. And, and that joy is, uh, is something I want over and over and over again. I want to be able to tell the stories I want to tell and help other people tell their stories. What I don't want is I don't want ever to get trapped in the things that don't bring me that, the things I want. So for example, I want to be very healthy. I want a very, very long life because I know there's so much advance in science and I want to be alive to see many things unfold and happen. The more I read about these things, like I wish I'm alive to see them. I wish I'm healthy to be able to enjoy them. I wish I'm creating for another whatever number of years. Like a friend said something last night, we were at a movie screening and, you know, on our way there, she said, and she's younger than me, maybe just 40 or early 40s. And she said, I feel like I've begun to live the second half of my life. The way she explained why. And then I spontaneously said to her, you know, somehow I have not begun to feel that way yet. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's a fact when I thought about it, I don't, I mean, I'm almost like, you know, in the next couple of years, I'll be 50. And at least so far, I don't know if it happens when I'm at 50. I don't feel like I'm in the second half. Because somewhere in my head, I think we're all going to live much longer than we think. Of course, I mean, with the exception of pandemic and whatever. And I want to be really using that time to create. Like, I don't feel like I'm running out of time or anything. Yes, life is short, but it's also long. I do hope that I'm mentally healthy and physically healthy to be able to do all of that.
0: Swati, you know, you spoke about um, inspiration, right? Have there been
1: any role models in your life? I like to be inspired, the time, right? I like meeting people who inspire me. And for me, inspiration is not necessarily a celebrity or someone big or, you know, it could be just everyday encounters with people and uh, just things people do. I try to be very honest with myself. So when I am inspired, I know. When I feel sadness, I know. I'm like closest to my emotions. And so I let it flow. And which is why it also helps me with work, because when I read something or when I watch something, I know how it's affecting me. I allow myself to be inspired. I am observing all the time. Uh, it's nature, mostly. And, and I think it's nature in a bigger sense, like I would put people in that.
0: So you spoke about Ekta, for example, You said she and I are very different people, but yet she inspires me a lot.
1: Oh, she does because Ekta for one is somebody who is extremely passionate, knows what she wants, goes after it. Again, she is not somebody who's not afraid. She has her own fears, but she overcomes them. She is uh, constantly learning. She puts herself out there. She takes risks. And I think those things I admire because it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of courage to be able to do those things. I actually admire anybody who is able to overcome their weaknesses or uh, the cards that were dealt to them, deal with them in a way that they make something of it. When I watch shows like, for example, Love on the Spectrum, it's a show on Netflix, you must watch. I will. Mm -hmm. My language, I hope, is not wrong. But these are people with disabilities, right? Like learning disabilities and people on the spectrum. And just their way of coping with life, of finding love, it's just amazing. And the triumph that comes after, like, that's real joy. I, I think there is no joy when everything is laid out for you on a platter. Like, if you ask me, would I have wanted to be born to a billionaire? Would my life have been different in a better way? No, I don't think so. I was just born to the right guy. And I was meant to have this life because I don't think I would have had an appreciation for many things if I was born. To entitled upbringing. Talk to me about your
0: journey as a leader, right? You know, my son is a film student, and I remember to see small mini productions which he used to do as a part of his course. For me, it was such an eye opener when I saw that shoot which he did in an apartment in Bombay. And therefore, if I had to extrapolate Wedding Season or any other range of movies that you produced, share with me how did you navigate that journey as a leader?
1: I mean, I'm still learning, right? Every day, every film is a new experience. Rather, everything you do is a new experience, not just film. But in film, it sort of comes together very interestingly, because it's truly something that could not happen with one person. Like there are many other things where people could say, oh, it's my doing and I don't have anybody to thank. It's just me. I did it. it's, It's there are many things, right? You write a book. Yes, there are many people who contribute to the stories, but you've done it, right? You play tennis and you win. If it's singles match, you did it. Uh, but on a film, I don't think there's one person who could ever take credit because it's one of those things where so many people come together and every little thing is so important. For example, something like sound, since you said your son is a sound technician, it's so 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 important in a film and i do think that to a large extent some of the most important things in a film it's almost like a thankless job in a way of course they get paid and people within film know the value of it but the audiences don't care and and that's the job for them to make it so seamless that their work doesn't show but it contributes to making a film so beautiful right as a leader i think one it's very important for a producer To know each of these things, I may not know the technicalities, but to know the value that each of these things bring to a film and to value all the people who bring that to a project. It's very important, I think, to me at least, that everybody I'm working with is smarter than me and is better than me at what they do, right? And more often than not, that's the case with almost all teams that I've ever worked with. Because I think that's how I learn. How would I ever learn if the people around me were not smarter than me? And another job I think that's a very important job of the producer is to enable the interactions between the others and make it seem like they're doing it themselves, right? Basically, I think a producer's job is to make many things happen without really doing them themselves, right? there's a lot of negotiation that you do as a producer. But you have to be able to find your way of being able to do it seamlessly. So for example, HOD, head of department, has their own goals. So a line producer, his goal is to be able to deliver the film within a certain budget within X number of days. So he is going to be extremely cautious at time. An actor has to be able to be in the best frame of mind in the best physical whatever appearance that is desired by the director and deliver on acting. The director has to bring all of this together and make the actors perform and get the best shots to be able to take to the editor and make a film. Now, if you look at these objectives, they're already clashing because the line producer wants to make it in X time, whereas the director We'll make sure he will keep going till he gets that best shot, right? And the actor can afford to be a bit whimsical and say that, you know, I am on a creative path. I'm on a journey. I'm not ready yet. I will be there. You see what I'm saying? And then that's where the producer comes in to be able to basically optimize (laughs) the situation and find a balance and still have them all get along and uh, make the best film. And that can be very challenging sometimes, you know, and then there are other entities involved because it's the, it's the who's spending the money, whether it's the studio, the streamer, the financier, whatever, you know, there are other HODs, there are other people. And to add to that, in our film, we had COVID. So that was another huge entity that one had to deal with, the quarantines and all of that. But we won, which is the end of it all. It's such a pleasure when Your line producer in Toronto sends you a message saying he's been getting so many compliments in Canada about the film and everybody in the world is very happy and it's a shared joy. I am just as happy as the lead actor, as the director, as the gaffer and there's no spot boy really, but yeah.
0: (laughs) All these names ring a bell because I hear all of these from Sid so I know exactly what you're saying, yeah. Keeping in mind all these realities and struggles and so on, Swati, What's your life lesson or leadership lesson or what's your life mantra?
1: My life mantra is really be brave, be beautiful. My painting page is called that on Instagram. Well, I spell beautiful as the film, which I like, the Inaritu film. But be brave, be beautiful, because I have thought about this. I have thought about what is the one quality in a person i most admire and what is the one quality i need personally when i approach anything in life and what i mean by beautiful is not really just vanity right i think the outcome needs to be beautiful so the intention is to do something in a beautiful manner and that beautiful is a definition in my head but anything any situation you apply this to like simple thing right like you are in a conundrum about something and You have to make a decision. Do I let this go or do I go the easier path? Now, what would my be brave, be beautiful mantra tell me? What is the most courageous decision I would make in this scenario where I'm doing it without fear? And I more often than not never second guess that, which is also one way of going back to your Question that you had a few minutes ago about risk taking, that also helps me. And then be beautiful. I mean, like the outcome needs to be beautiful. Basically, like I would say, the closest word would be grace. Do everything with grace. I mean, in the situations we are all thrown in, it's very hard to get that always. Exactly like a film set, for example. It's very hard for a producer. Because you're saying no more often than not. You're saying no to spending more. You're saying no to an ex-costume. You're saying no to this, no to that. But how do you do that in the nicest possible manner and still not waste time and still be efficient? Or in personal decisions also, whatever that may be, just be brave, be beautiful. Yeah, I like that perspective.
0: To me, it comes with a lot of empathy, right? So what you're saying is, you give the example of being grace, it's like reacting to a situation versus responding to a situation. You know, yes. You're
1: know, you going
0: to do the job, but the how becomes pretty critical,
1: yeah. Yes, and do it with courage. Approach it with courage and make sure it's beautiful, whatever it is, yeah.
0: I know we've spoken so much about courage and about risk-taking and so on, right? But I do want to still ask you, Swati, what in your mind is the biggest mistake you made?
1: I make mistakes all the time. <laughs> I make mistakes all the time because obviously I am somebody, like you said, is a risk taker and I'm throwing myself. And you're a deliberate risk takers. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, deliberate, yes, maybe. You know, it's this thing of calculation and allowing for a certain amount of calculation, but allowing for space for magic, right? So rather than saying I'm a deliberate risk taker, I am somebody who does things allowing for that space of magic. There is a certain amount of knowledge that goes into it, knowledge, experience, logic, and analysis. But then I always want to allow for that 40%, 30, 40% of space for magic. And so when you do that, you obviously know that it could go the other way. And uh, that's what risk is all about. So I think one of my biggest mistakes, which is sort of a pattern in a way, whenever it's happened, have been also from my strength, right? One of my biggest strengths is my sharpened uh, instincts or intuition, you may call it. And I think it comes from the fact that I'm fairly disciplined in the way I do things. And then I allow for space for magic and take that risk. When you do that over and over, your intuition gets sort of sharpened and your instincts get stronger. And so over the years, even without consciously knowing it, I have done it. So I think I do have sharpened intuition. And it's easier for me to go more right than wrong when it's a decision like that. But where my mistakes happen and where the weakness lies is when I second guess that intuition. So there have been times in my life, small and big, but mostly big. With small, I never second guess my intuition. More often than not, with big also, I never second guess my intuition. It was something as simple as coming to the U.S. Nobody knew. I didn't talk to many people. I had the offer. I just left. Like A lot of people got to know after I came to the U.S., most people, other than a few close friends. I didn't ever second guess it. I knew, okay, this is something that the universe is giving to me. I'm going. I didn't overthink it. But when I overthink things, I make the mistake. And I've done that a few times. One of the things I make that mistake with often is uh, probably relationships and people. And I don't mean just like intimate or personal relationships, but relationships in general. I usually have a very long rope and benefit of doubt and, you know, don't judge. And I try not to judge. I know it's very hard for us as humans not to judge. But in that endeavor always to not judge, I always have a longer rope and benefit of doubt. More often than not, I have only won because of that. It's only held me in good stead. But there are times when I have made mistakes with that. And I don't know if that will ever change, really. I think it will happen again. Mistakes will keep happening so long as I learn from them.
0: So you remember I mentioned to you that I did this little survey across the globe with around 300 women. And interestingly, the learnings of the survey were quite consistent. And picking up from your corporate experience, I'm going to ask you a few questions and I'd love your perspective on that. For one, a lot of women said men have to simply state, but women have to convince. The other was, how do we get the rightful seat at the table? How do we get our authentic selves to work?
1: So interesting. And uh, I don't know if there is any right or wrong. With every case, it's different. And secondly, I don't know if I have been able to really overcome these things completely, or I, I don't know if anybody has. It is hard whatever age you are, whichever stage that you are in your career, you're still convincing and you're still proving to people that you can, right? And to your point in terms of men's state and women, I'm not the kind of person who sort of talks to these things too much, not because I don't believe they're true. Of course I do. And I've experienced them a lot. But It's just that the more I talk about it, I feel like we're giving that so much more importance and we don't move on in a way. But I also realize the importance of being able to coach younger people so they don't make the same mistakes as us. One thing from my corporate experience, I would say to every woman, every man too, actually every young man and woman is do not fear. Because again, coming back to courage, Right. Don't fear. And I have myself been guilty of it. You know, in my younger days of corporate life, I have been in situations where I am not sure I would react the same way as I did when I was younger. I am sure I would stand up and speak up for myself differently. I always did speak up for myself. I'm not somebody who holds back when there is something to say, but I think I could have done it with more courage. I could have done it in better forums. I could have been less afraid of the powers to be. And I would think that everybody should know that people with a certain wrong sense of power love it when others are afraid. They love to make people afraid. And don't fall for that because life doesn't begin and end with one episode in your life or one story or one job. There's a long life ahead of you. Nothing is the end of something. I know it's hard. I know you have to take money home. I know you have to put food on the table, but show a little courage there. Know your worth. I understand insecurity that you would lose your job, but really, are you that person who could do nothing? I think anybody like us who has had a corporate job, and I'm not talking about a certain level. I'm talking about even if you're a starter at like an organization in a corporate job, then you've already studied that much. You know, you've know, you come that far. You can change industries if you had to, right? But if you want to make a point and if you want to basically tell people that, listen, this can be done differently or I have a better plan and I want you to see it. And then if you're still not getting respected, I think you should move on. I would have probably done different things in my younger life with just a little more courage. And I feel be true to yourself, like they say, borrowing from a complete cliche, actually, that. There is no other person like you or something to that effect. There is no other Enma or there is no other Swati. There is only one. So why not just be that person? And I believe in that because I feel like in my case, for example, I am not very, I'm a straight shooter. I am not so great with language always. you know, It's not always nuanced and uh, I am not mollycoddling people as I give them the message, right? But if you ask me, is it always great? No. Some people do not receive things the way I intend for them to receive it. But more often than not, people trust you because they know you will give them the truth. They know that when I am then complimenting them, they know it's real. And so I think you should definitely be true to yourself. You should definitely be brave. And on the side, I feel just keep on that journey of knowing who you are and what you want. Because I think that confidence that comes from that space helps you in the other space. Because your life is not determined then by where you work, who's your boss, what you do, because you are you and then, you know, or how much money you have. I don't think life should be that. The moment that changes, you have more courage. And I think that would be my advice to younger people. And also don't make work your everything. I am still guilty of that, but that's by choice because I enjoy my work. But at the same time, I do think that when I say don't make work your everything, I don't mean don't give all your hours to work. Give all your hours if that's what you want and that's what you enjoy, right? But that is not life. That is not 100% of life. It is part of life.
0: What's next for Swati? Well, I hope a lot, like I said. (laughs) You also spoke about bringing in a different flavor to cinema in Hollywood, right? Bringing the global representation to Hollywood.
1: I would love to do that, to be honest. I don't know when and how. I don't know when I will find that opportunity, the capital and, you know, everything that goes with it to be able to make that happen. But I would love to have that opportunity if it happens in my lifetime. I would keep wanting to make great films a small way Wedding Season did that. Because if you and I watch the film, because we are brown people to some extent from India and all that, it's another film, right? But to a lot of people, a certain community, Indian Americans specifically, it did so much for them, right? So that's Mm -hmm. what I mean when I say telling stories of people that haven't been told before, because people like to see themselves on screen. Yesterday, the state press had an article from this writer called Sophia Bala Subramaniam, I think, or Balakrishna, but just out of the blue, you know, this was not RPR or anything. Uh, she just wrote an article of, about how for the first time she felt represented. That was so amazing for me to read that. And I want to do that. I want to tell those stories. I think stories have the power, not just influence, but impact. And that power is sometimes underestimated. And I'm lucky to be in film. I feel fortunate every day. And I hope that somebody helps me, enables me to be able to tell these stories and things come together and magic happens. Because I am definitely a crusader for those kind of stories and representation. And I don't mean just like race and caste. There's so many things, just stories that haven't been told before.
0: At some level, Swati, this is exactly what we're doing at Atlanta Diaries.
1: You are, absolutely. Absolutely. Because like I said, I get inspired by everyday people and everyday things. And, you know, a lot of times what we see on press is not everything. Most times, I would say it's really what is press run by? It's run by PR agents and they get paid for it. So when you have the money, a lot of that press happens. But then there are so many people and so many untold stories of so many successful people even not just successful, also rich, but they don't want to do any PR. And I want those stories to be told. And I think that that would make the world a better place.
0: That's beautiful. Since Atlanta Diaries is a place where we can learn and unlearn our definitions of success and achievements, is there any other parting thought for aspiring women leaders as they
1: transition? I mean, as cliched as this sounds, I would again say, be true to yourself and just go for it don't fear be brave be beautiful
0: thank you very much this has been amazing
1: thank you and thanks for inviting me
0: thank you very much for listening to this episode of atlanta diaries in its entirety i really hope you found the conversation insightful or inspiring i really wish for atlanta diaries to be a place where we can learn and unlearn our definitions of success Build a community for the ones who may have multiple North Stars and connect deeply beyond the limit of this audio file. I do have a request for you. Please share with others who you feel will benefit from this conversation. Because of these conversations or even a small segment of them can help champion the journey of even one woman, it'll be worth all the effort. I would love to get suggestions of breakthrough women from you to help strengthen my repertoire. I look forward to seeing you next week for another insightful conversation at Atlanta Diaries.